0: No, I don't. <laughs> I expect it, but I don't miss it. Uh, hello, everyone. Turn in your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter one. Uh, one thing that we're going to look at today is effectiveness of witnessing, or our effectiveness with the gospel to those around us. Uh, If you feel that your witness of the gospel is weak or ineffective, uh, today the scripture is going to show us how we can change that. And In my experience, those who have actually been uh, excellent witnesses, I guess that's in my opinion, but for those that I've seen who have been very effective in bringing people to Christ are those that have lived... Uh, as they have spoken, and God makes a big deal out of this in His Scripture. That if, you know, for instance, like a, it, it, when you're witnessing of the gospel, it's almost like being a salesman. But if you're like, say, a snake oil salesman, you're you're selling a lie, and you're lying, and you're trying to get others to believe the lie and buy your product. If you're selling the gospel, you're, you're giving something that is of the most valuable thing in the world to a human being. And if it's word only, and, it's, and then the effectiveness of your witness is weak if it's just word. So if I was selling something to someone and I didn't actually use the product that I was selling, Say I was selling, I don't know, a type of car. I'd be like, "Yeah, I would never be caught dead in that thing. It's a death trap." But you know, how do how do I get you in it today? You know, that kind of thing. If uh, if I don't actually use or like what I'm selling, then I'm quite ineffective at it. And people are very good judges of um, sincerity. And so, what Paul, what God through Paul is going to show us today is the effectiveness of the gospel and how it can change people's lives. So with that, let's, uh, let's get into that and we'll pray. Let's pray uh, that we, uh, again, have humility and reverence before God's word to prepare ourselves to hear God's word as James instructs us. We should not uh, have anything of a negative nature in our hearts while we're learning God's word, that we should be open and ready Uh, for uh, God's revelation of that, which which is wonderful. And so with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this privilege of having you reveal to us your truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of peace that has saved us. The gospel is your good news, your good news to the world that you sent your son to take the sins of the world upon himself, to save us by his sacrifice. And by him and him alone in his work, we are saved, not because we worked, because he worked. We receive the benefit of his work by faith when we believe in him. We believe in him. Our sins have been poured out upon him and his righteousness has been poured into us. His perfect righteousness. Therefore, Father, we know that we are reconciled and forgiven before you as those who have believed in your Son. And we seek now, Father, to see the power of that gospel in your word. How that gospel, which is infinite truth within it, actually changes us and continues to change us through time as it manifests itself in all of its truths. We ask, Father, that through your Spirit, that more of those truths would be manifested to us today. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. Uh, To remind you now, oh, so I've changed again. (laughs) Uh, We're going to look, so, uh, well, I might as well just get it out of the way, right? Um, I was going, as you know, I was going to do main themes of all the books of the New Testament, and I was talking this over with someone, some very experienced person, uh, just a couple of days ago and uh, another minister of, uh, of the gospel and um, as we talked about it I, I it it dawned on me that after after we see the main themes of several books we're going to start to forget the main themes of the older books and so what would happen were, would be that we'd get all these main themes and then we'd be like wait a minute which main theme goes with which book again and we would have been we would have spent a great amount of time going over those and not getting any of the details of the book. So I've got a slight change here. Well, it's a little more than slight. Is that we're going to, for each book that we do, we're going to see the main theme at the front. And may, that may take a class or two, depending on the size of the book. But then after that, we are going to go through the books verse by verse. But it's not going to take years to do so. Uh, I've got a, a much better plan to get through. Uh, the books so that we get a real good idea of what's in the books and um, and not spend a whole lot of time on great amount of detail, but enough detail that we understand what's being written. So we'll try it out. What we're going to do here is take first Thessalonians, which is a small book. This would be easy to do with these smaller books. When you get to the larger books like Romans and Colossians, it's going to the, those, they have a, so much material in them that it would take longer to do them verse by verse. So we'll see what we'll do when we get there. But uh, for these smaller books, at least at the beginning, we will look at them uh, in, in more detail. And so today we're going to look at verses 1 through 10, which is the first chapter in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, to remind you of the theme of Thessalonians, both both of them, both Thessalonians one and two, or first and second, is the encouragement for believers to live godly despite persecution and pain. And these books are written for encouragement. They're letters by the apostle Paul to this group, so that they do not quit or or lose their momentum spiritually. And be and his main concern is that they're brand new believers, Gentile believers who are used to worshiping idols and are used to a very immoral lifestyle. And they're surrounded in a in a city by those who hate them. And there's uh, the especially the Jews in the city uh, loathe the fact that they are, you know, that they're practicing this religion that is what they think is a religion that has a Jew as its savior, claiming to be the Christos. Now, for a Jew, the Christos is Messiah, and that's their guy. You know, and so these Gentiles are calling this Jesus, who the who the Jews think is an impostor, um, as their Messiah, and they're using the Jewish term. Actually, they're using many Jewish terms because, you know, the, the whole. New and Old Testament are written by Jews. It's completely Jewish. And so they're persecuted incredibly. And Paul is concerned for them. So he wrote them. After he found out, he sent Timothy to them to see how they were doing. And when he found out that they were doing well, he wrote this first letter. And you can see at the front that he encourages them. But it's not flattery. You know, just, you know, you can just flatter somebody and lie to them, but Paul's not lying to them, as we'll see. Um, what you find also in these letters is that when Paul encourages, he doesn't use platitudes. And a platitude is a phrase that's used over and over and over again, and it loses its meaning because it's used so much. Uh, and so, you know, this you don't read in the Scripture, you can do it. You know, that kind of what people say to each other, you know, I, I believe in you. You can do it. You don't see that kind of weak, uh, you know, uh, positive thinking kind of thing in the, in the Scripture. Uh, you also don't see Paul asking them, you know, how are you feeling? You don't get that either. What you get is what God wants for them. What Paul gets right to the heart of in every one of his letters is the truth that comes from heaven and he doesn't really care how you're doing. And he doesn't really care to say you can do it because Paul knows maybe you can't. Because some, Paul is very clear on this, as is everyone. Believers fail at this all the time. Believers give up. Believers are weak. Believers, uh, Actual believers live carnally, and they hear all about this great stuff that God has given them, and they say, no, I'd rather live an earthly lifestyle. I'd rather live in the flesh. Thank you very much. And Paul knows that. So he's not really caring to say, you know, you can do it. I believe in you. But to what he wants to know, as he said to the Corinthians, is Christ crucified. Do you know that? And what he's going to say to them here is, well, the Thessalonians have done marvelously here. But what Paul is concerned about Is the effect of the gospel upon those that he has ministered to? Uh, What Paul wants for them is what God wants for them. Paul is a messenger of the truth, and then he gets out of the way. He gives the truth, and then he moves. And he allows the truth to do its work. Paul wants to know how the gospel has succeeded. Now, what we think, often we think of the gospel, we think of, well, You know, that's the thing that I believe that got me saved. And you would be exactly right. By believing the gospel, you became a saved person. But the gospel has in it multiple truths that we continue to learn throughout our lifetimes. Our Lord's sacrifice is in the gospel. The love of God, God so loved the world, that's in the gospel. The hope of Christ, that he knew he would be resurrected. That he knew he would be delivered. That is in the gospel. So there's, there's hope. There's endurance that Christ endured through his trials and stayed on the cross and died for the sins of the world. There's endurance there. Uh, and there's also, as I said, love. And there's faith. Jesus said, you know, he said, I'm going to the cross. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But I know there's no other way. And so he had faith. He put his faith in the Father as a man. And the gospel packs all of this truth into it. And when we believed in it for our salvation, we knew uh, just a minuscule part of it. The gospel packs enough truth within it that these truths about love and sacrifice and endurance and hope and faith will change you and change us over time. It will continue to change the way that we think and the way that we live. The Thessalonians had only been saved for a few months, and their whole manner of life had completely changed. Completely. And Paul is going to say here you used to worship idols, now you have subjected yourself. He uses the word do, it's the verb for doulos. You have made yourself servants of the living, true God. Just in a matter of months. You don't see and hear like Paul saying, you know what, go slow, just learn, don't do anything. God forbid you do anything. (laughs) Just learn and listen. We don't expect much from you. Where is that? What you see here in this letter is that Paul, Paul, Paul thoroughly expects for those who have learned the truth to apply that truth immediately. To not sit around waiting for some Impetus. So look at uh, opening line here. Uh, the first, the opening is very calm. This is Paul's first biblical letter, but this opening will become his standard opening for almost all of his letters. We'll, as we progress, we'll see that it's not every letter, but but for most of them. So Paul and Sylvanus, not the light bulb. Uh, Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy. Did all three of them write this? Well, probably not, but it might have been that Timothy, uh, it's called I always pronounce the word wrong, it's like an aminousis, that's not how it's pronounced, but it's spelled something like that, where Paul would dictate it and someone would write it. Uh, And it may have been Silvanus and Timothy that could have uh, taken his dictation, we don't know. But uh, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace to you in peace. So this is a very common opening. He salutation. Of, Paul addresses himself. Sometimes he'll give his title, an apostle. Uh, here he doesn't do that. Uh, to to whom the letter is addressed. Uh, that is here, and grace to you in peace. That's very common. That he would use both of those words. And it, it turns out that that in in the Hellenistic world at, the, at this time, that that's a very common way to write this kind of epistle with a greeting that says grace and peace. Then he next he does something that he, he very often does as well. We give thanks to God always for you, always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. And this is pretty common too, that Paul will then roll into thanksgiving for those that he's writing to. He, he always, I say almost always, expresses his thankfulness to those who he's writing to and also, that he prays for them. This is very common. And then he says, constantly bearing in mind. This, the Greek word means remembering. Constantly remembering your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. So those are three things. We're going to look at them today a little in a little more detail. Uh, your work of faith, labor of love. That's a common phrase, right? A labor of love. And steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing brethren, beloved of, beloved by God, his choice of you. And this is their election. Choice here, Ekloga, uh, the word means to be elected or chosen. So his choice of you, that's their election before the foundation of the world. Paul knows that because they believed in his gospel. And then he says, verse 5, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full, and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example, the word example also means model, of all, of all the believers in Macedonia, sorry, to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaea or Achaia. But also for the, sorry, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. uh, Your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. But for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come Paul is a master of run-on sentences All right if he were if he were taking an english composition course in school in our modern day he'd get an f he runs them on and sometimes you're reading and reading and you're like paul when are you getting to the point there's a lot of that <laughs> And, uh, but here, and so here we have, you know, if I asked you now, all right, just t- tell me, summarize for me what we just read, you'd probably be like, yeah, let me read that again a few times. And There's nothing wrong with that. Of course, all of us have to do that. But what we have here, and we'll break it up just a bit, um, is just one paragraph, which is really just about two very long sentences. You know, maybe three. I, I don't know. But, you know, in Greek... Uh, in these original manuscripts, there's no punctuation, so they just it just rolls on and on and on. You know, so we put the punctuation in where we think the sentence ends. Um, but first, we have the opening salutation, and and then we have prayer. We have thanksgiving. Notice who he thanks. He doesn't thank the Thessalonians. He thanks God. Right. So our thankfulness is always to the Lord. There's people in our lives who are um, spiritual, who love the Lord, and who are a great benefit to us because they love the Lord. Right? There are people in our lives that serve us because they love the Lord. Uh, they are uh, strong and courageous because they have uh, the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. And they're a great blessing to us. And we're thankful for them. And we should express our thankfulness to them. But we should never forget to thank God for them. When we're in prayer, do we thank God for the people that are in our lives? And as I say that to myself, do I do that enough? Do I thank God for the people in my life who serve and minister to me because they love God? So Paul's thankfulness is to God. Then he says making mention of you in, your, in our prayers. And I, I pause here. It's really not about our topic today. But I, I was told, I was taught years ago, that making mention of you means that when you're praying, you only have to really briefly, as fast as you can, say people's names when you're praying, and that is good enough. And not that we're given instruction in prayer on how long or or whatever we're supposed to pray for people or a particular person, but uh, when we look at the prayers that are written in the Scripture, the ones that are expressed in the Scriptures, whether Paul's prayers or other people's prayers, that they are actually specific. And in very many cases, uh, the prayers that are are given that uh, are listed in the Scripture uh, are praying for particular items or particular things, and and therefore we should not have the idea that making mention means that I want to get through my prayer as fast as possible. I have the feeling the person who told me this didn't like to pray and wanted to get through prayer as fast as possible. And you know, a, a we just studied, we just finished a series on prayer, and we should absolutely understand that. Prayer is supposed to be a joy to us. And if it's not, then we need to change. Um, Our prayer lives is our personal communication with God privately, one-on-one, in our inner room, with him, in which we get to speak with him about anything and everything, to seek his guidance, but also to pray for others. And there's a lot of people. It's amazing to me. You know, since that series, I've been praying a lot more than I have in the past. I know a lot of people in the congregation have as well. And it seems that now that I'm doing that, there's more and more prayer requests coming my way. Like I I got like three or four more yesterday. Um, There's there's like right now, uh, I've been asked to pray for something like a dozen or more people. Uh, on top of the people that I normally have been praying for. And so you think to yourself, "Oh my God, I don't have time for that. I don't have time. I got to just make mention so i'll I'll get a list and I'll just rattle off their names. <laughs> and, and like God's in heaven going, "Oh, okay, all right, I heard all the names. Perfect. Now I'll work. You know, did you hear that? A name was mentioned? Let's go do it. And that's not the case, you know, why is God having us pray for people? And so that we can be actually involved in their lives and involved in their changing and involved in the things that God is going to do in their lives, we become a part of it. And so this making mention, by the way, and I, as I have here on the board, the Greek actually means remembering. So making mention doesn't actually mean to go as fast as possible. It is not a way of the Apostle Paul saying pray really fast because you're very busy, I understand. You know, it's not that. It's the Greek word means to remember. All right, that that was my soapbox for that first. All right, so there are three players in this epistle. There are Paul and his, in this case, Sylvanus and Timothy. There's the gospel, and there's Thessal, the Thessalonians. And it shouldn't surprise us. So out of these three players, this is throughout the whole the whole thing, and and they're mentioned immediately in this opening paragraph. We have the Thessalonians. Paul talks about himself, writes about himself. In chapter 2, he'll do that in far more detail. And then the gospel. And it shouldn't surprise us that the gospel, all right, you have to be looking to see my effect here. Ready? Bam! See that? Ready? Bam! The gospel shouldn't surprise us that it's front and center. Um, and it's not written about as much as Paul writes about himself or as he writes about the Thessalonians. But we shouldn't look at word volume to determine the main theme. The main theme here is to encourage, again, it's to encourage these people and therefore to encourage us to continue to live godly despite the pressure, but... Or, or suffering. But, you know, what? what is it that we're living for? And are the Thessalonians living to impress Paul? Heck no. He wouldn't want that. Not at all. Um, is Paul living to impress the Thessalonians or any of the other people? He could care less. All right, so who's being pleased here? And when I say gospel... Now, gospel, euangelon, in Greek, it means good news. All right? Angelon, angelos is a messenger, and eu, the prefix eu, means good. So it's a good news or a good report. And the gospel is literally that. It's the good news. It's the good news that God sent his son into the world to save the world. It's the good news that man cannot work for salvation but can only be saved through faith, that salvation is a free gift to anyone who has faith, that Jesus Christ died for all mankind on the cross and therefore is the Savior of the world and the only Savior of the world. The good news is that when Christ died for our sins, our sins were poured out upon him and his righteousness was poured into us. The good news is that he is the perfect Savior who was judged for the sins of the world. The good news contains within it, therefore, the faith, love, sacrifice, endurance, and hope of our Lord. He had faith. He had hope. He had endurance. He had love. And these are the things that Paul sees in the Thessalonians, which overjo- makes him overjoyed. And he's not Overjoyed for his own you know, could you imagine Paul saying, See how great how great the churches are that I built? Like I'm I'm an awesome church builder. I mean no one does it better than me. And of course we don't see that anywhere in his writing. What we see in Paul is a desire for others to live and therefore see the grace of God and the life of God that as exactly how as Paul does. Now, also, because the Thessalonians are facing all of this, they've received the gospel and completely changed them. Uh, Paul received the gospel on the road to Damascus. Now, where is Paul going? He's going to Damascus, obviously. And and what is he going there to do? Well, he's going there to arrest Christians, throw them in prison, torture them, well, know, torture them. But you know, and eventually, and to separate people, uh, break up families. Uh, Uh, Throw parents in prison, separate them from their children, to persecute the church with tremendous zeal. And so that's Saul of Tarsus, the great persecutor of the church, the one who stood in agreement when they stoned Stephen to death in Acts chapter 7. And in Acts chapter 9, he meets the Lord Jesus Christ, and he hears the gospel, and he believes, and he's completely changed. Right, so what changed Saul to Paul? What changed idol worshipers to, as they, you know, we see that here. Uh, verse 9, look at 1-9. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. That's when they went to Thessalonica and were received by those who believed. And how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. At least really be the living and true God, right? So they're completely changed from idols, and, and you know you got to see why Paul puts the word "living" in there, because idols are not—they're hunks of wood or metal uh, or stone, and they they have no life to them. But you know there's the living God, the true God, and so the gospel changed lives and. And therefore, change them. So, you know, the, it's kind of like the silent—well, uh, not really silent, but it, it's not really written about as much. You don't see a big, long doctrinal treatise here on the gospel. Uh, you do see that kind of like in the Book of Romans. You'll see that for for chap pretty much chapters three, four, five are all about the gospels, and 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 it's and it's written out. But that's, you know, Romans is far more theological. Uh, this book is written for encouragement. And so that's why as Paul's writing about encouragement, he's going to write a bit more about what he's going through that's going to encourage them uh, and how he handled it and what they're going through and what they have become and how they've been successful. And, he, of course, that's why he's going to write so much about that. But then here sparsely put through it is the reason why any of them can do it in the first place and it's the gospel so let's begin with our first player who is Paul and his fellow workers they spoke the gospel but they also lived the gospel and Paul is going to make a great issue out of this not just here but in other letters as well as I'll show you uh... (coughs) And, again, this is the salesman who doesn't use his product versus the salesman who loves his product, uses his product, knows everything about his product. And this has the absolute confidence that if you buy his product, your life is going to be better. I mean, that makes for a great salesman, I, w- I would assume. I, I I probably couldn't sell, you know a glass of water to a drowning, uh, not a drowning man. See, I I don't get my metaphors right. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this is the stuff I get graded for in my my video class. It's been a disaster. (laughs) It's been an eye-opener. It's been quite the awakening. But anyway, um, you know, it's, if you, you have the truth in your heart, you know It will change people's lives because it's changed yours. And you've seen it actually change others. And you understand where it's from. Like this is from God. And you know that the gospel is not just words. In other words, where in the word of God do we see, okay, you're saved. Uh, Just do whatever the heck you want until you get to heaven. Thanks for getting saved. When Paul hears that the Galatians have fallen out of grace and into legalism, does he say, "You know what? It doesn't really matter. You're going to heaven anyway." When the Colossians, uh, sorry, the the Corinthians, no, well, Colossians too, but when the Corinthians fell away from grace and into grave immorality and church division, did Paul say, "Well, you know, it doesn't really matter." I, he he got so angry at them that one of his letters didn't even... His angry letter didn't make it into the Bible. We know he wrote one angry letter that gave them a lot of sorrow. <laughs> and it, it's lost forever. would love to hear about it when we get to heaven. But, um, you know, no, Paul greatly cares, as God does. So The point is is that the gospel is given which in the gospel has love, faith, peace, Endurance, sacrifice, just think what our Lord did. All it's all in there. And then we believe in this gospel, and then we're and some Christians are like this, they're kind of mad when God says I want you to love as I love. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, it's my love that saved your sorry butt from hell. Dummy And now I want you to love as I love. It's the greatest thing ever if you do it. And people are like, you know what? That gets in the way of me. And and God is very fair at this. If you want you, you get you. Remember when the Lord said, if if you give to be noticed by people, you have your reward in full. If you pray to be noticed by others... You got noticed by others. You have your reward in full. And we say, God, I don't want you. I want me. God says, you got it. I'll discipline you. I'm going to bring pain in you. I'm going to do everything in my power to show you that that is a wrong decision. But if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. And hell is a very real place in the scripture. It's not imaginary. It's not fictitious. Hell is very real, and the people in hell have said, I want me, I don't want you. And they get what they want. They get them without God. I I can't imagine that. It's the most horrible thing I could think of. But But, therefore, and I want to get off this salesman thing, because you're not really a salesman with the gospel. You're saving lives with the gospel. It saves lives. I have seen it transform people from the hardest ugly when I say ugly, I mean in behavior, from the hardest, ugliest people to the most fulfilled, happy, humble people. They went from pride and, and you know with your pride, you're like full of anger and lust and self, and they've gone over to... Softness of heart, humility, and wanting to serve others. Now, I got, i know of one guy who got delivered from such horror that he became an. Well, when he be, he's definitely called to be an evangelist, and this person said, "I will give the gospel with every last breath until I breathe my last." And the reason why he's so, and he's an incredibly effective evangelist, the reason why he is is because he knows what he's been delivered from. And I think a lot of Christians don't really know what they've been delivered from. And the problem with that is well, the, the reason why there's a disconnect is because they don't really understand what the gospel is. Yeah, you know, if if a person is is stuck in in a hellish situation on earth and they get delivered and they know, wow, I you know, I was about to die a horrible death and God delivered me, is that it's different certainly than someone who's, you know, a mi- middle class person like when I got saved, I was in, in college at you know, I wasn't I wasn't suffering horribly like that, but I believed. Um, you know, both both people, both types of people, are delivered from the same horror of separation forever from God. And we need to understand that, so that we understand. You know, what is in the gospel? Notice as Jesus said, he's quoting uh, Isaiah twenty nine. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so God, even God said this of Israel. You say the right things, you say the right prayers, you read the scripture, you recite the scripture, you sing the psalms, and you don't know me at all. And why is that? Because you don't long for me. I mean, the when a heart is changed, the person changes their behavior. It has to. And so in 1 Thessalonians 1.5 again, Paul says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. What kind of men? This uh, Greek pronoun, it really what it is, is what manner of men that we were. What were we like? Well, we'll see that tomorrow. Paul further explains that, actually, in, much, in pretty good detail in chapter 2. How he behaved, how they behaved when they were among them. Certainly, that wasn't the way that their enemies behaved towards them, nor as, for instance, as we read of the Pharisees and Sadducees behaving in the Gospels. <clears throat> See, when your, when your word, when your, when your gospel is in word only and you don't live the gospel, then your behavior doesn't match what you're saying. And your uh, your gospel is ineffective, as Paul would say here. <clears throat> so the good minister getting to us is not just Paul, but the good minister of the gospel lives the gospel. And as the Paul said of the Thessalonians, they have faith, and it's a work of faith. We'll see that in a second. Uh, the labor of love. Why is it a labor of love? Well, because they've got to love everybody, just like we do. Is that is it easy? uh i just laugh cuz of course it's not endurance of hope hope as we'll see it means that you know i th- this thing i'm going through right now it stinks i'd use a stronger word but you know what i mean it, it 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 is terrible but my lord promises me i read it in his word he promises to deliver me he promises that all things work together for those who love him he promises me that the cavalry, cavalry is coming. He promises me. He says he's going to return, so he could return any minute. He promises me that I am a citizen of heaven and that is my true destiny. My destiny is the kingdom of God. Whatever I'm going through now is temporary. He promises that he will work all things together for good. And when you're in pain... That becomes a struggle to believe. And so here you are. And, and God puts us in these situations. He puts us in these situations on purpose. On purpose. This is very clear. He puts us in the situation and says, Are you going to believe in me or not? And then you have your result. If the gospel is about Christ's love, sacrifice, endurance, and hope, then the communicators of it are far more effective when they possess divine love. They love others. You know, it's it's easier to give the gospel and witness of the gospel to people that are, you know, hearing, receptive. How many times have you said, you know, I have an opportunity to speak to this person about Christ, but they're not going to believe it anyway? Why bother? You know, Why do we do that? It's because we don't want them to say what we know they're going to say. As it feels uncomfortable. If you're led by the Holy Spirit to witness someone and then you already evaluate that they're not going to listen to you anyway, what have you done? You said, Holy Spirit, you got that guy wrong. I know. I know it's in their heart, not you. <laughs> and you're saying that to God. What about to the unlovely? What about to the person who looks and smells awful? Now, the gospel's not good enough for them. And this Paul and God is getting to us <coughs> and trying to press through our hearts. There's not too many people on this planet who not only who know the gospel and who are willing who know the gospel are willing to share the gospel and are living the gospel. How many of them are out there? There aren't near enough. Didn't Christ said the workers are few, the harvest is huge, but the workers are few. It's not guilt. Don't think that that's guilt. I ha- I have to do this myself, but it's what are we afraid of? God is saying, what are you afraid of? Don't you know the power of this gospel? Don't you know its power? Don't be afraid. And in this, we gain great reward. Because what may have entered into your head, which has entered into mine, is that the skeptic would say, well, look, God is going to save all the ones he's going to save anyway, isn't he? If that person is destined to be saved, they're not going to go to the lake of fire just because I didn't say anything. And I would say you're exactly right in that. I mean, God can't say sorry. I know I told Joe to tell you the gospel, but he blew you off, so adios for all of eternity. And that can't be justice. But what is God calling us to do? To be a part of that which is salvation, that which is of purity, that which is of heaven. Christ said, I came into the world not to rule people. To judge people. I didn't come to judge. He will come the second time to judge. But the first time he said, I didn't come to judge. I came to save. And he's inviting us into his kingdom. Into the work of his kingdom. Uh, as Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, An overseer then must be above reproach. That is, overseer is my title as pastor or an elder. Uh, in He says the same of the deacon, which he will, gives later on. And in 1 Timothy 4.7, he says to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Right? Because why? Timothy, you're a minister of the gospel. In 1 Timothy 6.11-12, through 12, he says, But flee from these things, which are the things of impurity, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. It must matter greatly. Or why would Paul care to give his life for this? Because he saw something that a lot of people don't see. Uh, so we look at the Thessalonians. So we see Paul. Paul said, uh, "We live. We spoke the gospel and we live the gospel." Look at the Thessalonians. Go back to verse two. First Thessalonians one two. We give thanks to God always. For all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. And this uh, knowing means that Paul knows and they know. And we know that we have been elected. And this is supernatural. Supernatural. As we have believed in Christ as our Savior, we believed the gospel that we have been, notice verse 4, brethren beloved by God. That's how they're described. You're part of the royal family. You're loved by God. That beloved is a title that's used also for the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son. So God loves us as His children. We're brethren and sistren, one to another. And all of us have been elected before the foundation of the world. To be holy and blameless. How marvelous. And so they have the work of faith. What is the work of faith? Well, it's the work that faith does. It's not we don't work for salvation. They're already saved. Paul is saying your faith has given work. Uh, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's skip down a few lines. Look at verse 13. Paul says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Right? See that the, those who believe in the word, the word performs its work. And the work, part of which is described in the very next verse, in the next sentence, is that they endured, if you look at verse 14, it says that they endured in much suffering. So the work, they said this word is not from Paul. This is from the one true living God. And we put our faith in it. And so when these people who surrounded us came and persecuted us in whatever ways that they did, we endured right through it because the word, because this word, this truth that came from God, gave us this endurance. And we did it. And if you skip down to verse uh, chapter 4, look at 4.1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. So their work of faith turned out to be a walk. That pleased God and walk in the New Testament almost always. Well, that wasn't me. <laughs> My sound is off. Uh, the work that um, that they did was a walk. A walk is a lifestyle, a living lifestyle that, that pleased God. So they have a work of faith. James, now we know this from James, right? Faith without works is dead. We say, James, don't say that. That's legalism, James. But what did we see here? He's saying, look, you have all this doctrine in your head and you're not doing anything with it. So your spiritual life is, yep, you're saved, but there's no living. I almost said that Jewish like, because James is a Jew. You're not living. All right? Work of faith. Then they have the toil of love. You're, you're, uh, um, New American Standard says labor of love. the word means to toil. It's an agri- they live in an agricultural economy this this noun is used for laborers who work all day you know they they work long days in physical labor. A toil of love here means that divine love isn't always easy, and we will be exhausted at times, yeah. If I'm going to love everyone, that means, that doesn't mean that, you know, uh, what was it? As James said, he said, you know, uh, the person came to me and they were hungry and thirsty and I had food. And I said, go, be warmed. They were cold. I said, go, be warmed. I had like a hundred jackets in my closet that I don't even use. And I said, go and be warmed. I didn't give them what they needed. He said, what good is that? Uh, The toil of love is that I love all, my neighbor, my enemies, the people I love, the people who I do love. And so we love one another, we love our enemies, and certainly the Christian life is a labor of love. Because if I love, I'm going to do. I'm going to serve. It's not just words. As is clearly pointed out here and, and throughout all the rest of the New Testament, it's not just words. It's not go and be warmed. It's what do I have to actually do to help you. I was talking to a guy who ministers, um, and, and I met him through the university, and and it's amazing. Like I, I kind of got a feel for his schedule. Uh, he's pastor somewhere, and and it's amazing, and he just goes and goes and goes and goes. He's, and the the reason is is and his doctrine is spot on. He just he wants to serve, and his service is exhausting at times not always but at times and you know if we love others if someone says i need this service and i'm like you know what i am burnt out for today you're going to have to come back tomorrow you might do that i might do that but it's not christ-like that's not what this life is and god is pushing us to step over some lines some thresholds that we haven't done Yet, because there's something on the other side that he wants us to see. And we haven't seen it yet. I say, "Oh,, and I say, well, he want crowns and rewards in heaven. That's, that's true, that's there. Absolutely. For those who follow, for those who commit, for those who profess, you know, there's rewards in heaven, for sure. Uh, but there's something here on Earth as well. Something that changes us. Something that we need to see. All right. Lastly, they have the endurance of hope. And this is... This ain't going on forever. There's another thing, too. The Lord is returning in glory. We see this in Thessalonians. Paul speaks about it on three separate occasions in these two small letters. That the Lord is coming back. He's telling the Thessalonians, look, this isn't permanent. And when he returns, his wrath is going to be on those who oppose you. So, there's all this wasted energy of how do I get them back? And Paul says to them, look, don't waste your time with that. It's a bunch of wasted energy and time. Don't worry about that. When the Lord comes and he does this well, he will judge. And he uses the word wrath here in this book. The wrath will come upon them. So the endurance of hope is that God will deliver us from our tribulation. But in the tribulation, look at verse 6, 1 Thessalonians 1 6. He says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Tribulation means suffering here. Not the seven-year tribulation. It's the same word used for it. But uh, the the word here means suffering, tribulation, trial. You receive the word in much tribulation, but with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became a model, an example. A model meaning that you actually modeled the Christian way of life. And by doing so, Paul said, the word was, as he said, you became an example to all believers in Macedonia, which that's their surrounding area. But then Achaia, which is all the way down in Athens, which is, I don't know how many miles away, but it, it's, a, it's a good walk. <laughs> it's got to be 40, 50 miles away, at least 50 miles away. And at their time, that's, that's a long trip. uh, And and so they actually became evangelists to the surrounding area to miles, and they never even actually went there because the fame of their work in faith spread to others, and they became a model. I have known models. (laughs) That came out wrong. I have known those who have modeled the Christian life, and I will never forget them. You do as well. They, they are inspiring. But we take from this also that there are Christians, I don't know how many, it seems to be more than than the other kind, which they don't model Christianity at all. Right? They're Christian, or at least they say they are, but what they do is they, they just model the flesh. They're an example of what all the rest of the worldly people do. And that's their choice, right? God doesn't force them. It's their choice. Should we judge them? Wait a minute. What what message was that? Was that Sunday? Yeah. We cannot. Because when Christ comes, he says, I will judge. And he's the only one who has the acumen, the piercing true sight to see everything that's going on. I had an encounter with someone, the person I was telling you about. I wanted to judge that lady badly. And I'm like, do I know what's going on with this lady? I had a deal with somebody at the bank today that just, like, really set me off. And I'm like, what are you talking? And and afterwards I left. I just wanted to talk. I wanted to gossip about it. I just wanted to judge. And I remembered Sunday's message. How about that? And I said, do I know everything about this person? Do I really understand everything that they said and why? And I'm like, I don't. I I have remotely all the facts about what's going on in that person's head. Do I have the right to judge? Nope. I don't. So I prayed that God would get her. Is that legitimate? Like, it's in the Psalms, right? They're called imprecatory? No, I didn't do that because I don't want to be gotten... All right, so lastly, right, so out of the three players, you read more about Paul and about the Thessalonians, but you also, what has really made the change? And it's the gospel. All the truth that's in that gospel. Paul writes to Timothy, the power is in the gospel. It's in his last letter. He says, I'm not ashamed of the testimony of the gospel. It's the power of God to those who are saved. The gospel, the good news. Within that good news is all the good news about Jesus' person and his work. And there are multiple doctrines in there that we'll be learning for the rest of our lives. The gospel is what changes us. And if we're going to be effective witnesses like the Thessalonians were, like Paul Silvanus and Timothy were, that we've got to live the gospel. So if I'm going to tell people about the sacrifice of Christ, guess what i got to be for that to be effective? Sacrificial. If I'm going to tell people about the love of Christ, and that he died for them because he loved them, God loves you. That's a huge impact on another person's soul. And I don't think we realize, or I, mean, I haven't realized, that we think everybody has known this and has heard this, but have they really We've heard it so much that we probably assume those people out there have heard it too. But there might be, a, I think there is a great number of them who have never heard an, one person alive tell them that God loves them, regardless of who they are or what they've done. You never know the impact that could have on another person. And then what would happen would be that you would enter into the ministry of God's gospel. You become a partaker of it. And what's in that gospel, which is also power and peace and joy and sacrifice, that and the end that's coming, the destiny, all of that will become a part of you. Because you've entered into the gospel, you have lived the gospel, and now you're a witness of the gospel. And that's all in the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. So it, it looks like, as far as our pace is for this book, it might be a chapter a day. But, you know, what do I know about pace? Every time I say that, it's it's wrong. So let's pray. <clears throat> we thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you, Father, for uh, the, the scriptures of which are timeless, uh, which they all are. We are so grateful for this book and all of Paul's writings for your great servant Paul and what he is what he communicates to us and we're grateful for your gospel first uh, most of all for our lord and savior Jesus Christ who has made everything possible through him you have revealed your love for us and that we are your beloved children may you impress upon each of our hearts the the courage that comes from this life to witness of you to the world and we ask in Christ's name amen